Hello and welcome to Lecture 7A of MGI 516 IT Governance. I'm Bretton Birchmore and this discussion is going to go into some details about the COVID-5 process model. We'll look at an overview and then we'll talk about some of the first processes in the EDM governance domain. Now in COVID-5 the process model is that big chart of 37 separate processes. These are meant to be the guiding force, the guiding light, and the input-output instructions for what we're meant to do and go through in order to have our IT governed effectively across the organization. So this is a bit of a step-by-step -step guide, but it's also a fairly high-level guide. It describes more of what we need to have rather than precisely how to do it. Now these processes are broken into two domains. There's a governance domain and a management domain. And the management domain is by far the larger of the two. The governance domain is only five of those 37 processes. But arguably, those five are some of the more important ones. The entire process model is broken into several groups, five separate groups that all work together. The top group is Evaluate, Direct and Monitor, also known as EDM, understandably. So the EDM group is the governance group, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the other groups that follow, they're all part of the management domain. Those are the area of align, plan, and organize, build, acquire, and implement, deliver service and support, and lastly, monitor, evaluate, and assess. So those are all part of the management processes or the management domain. But all of these together form a kind of cycle, a process, a sequence. It begins with the very top. So in the governance layer, we have evaluate, direct, and monitor, so EDM. This is what drives or comes from the business needs. So at the very highest levels of the organization, information is evaluated, and directions are given to the organization by that top executive layer. So the C-suite, the CIO, the CEO, and the various strategic committees that sit at the very top of the organization. They give directions, so they direct, which is the second part of the acronym. They direct the organization on how the IT department or how the IT investment needs to function in order to meet those business needs. This then goes down into the management domain. They take this direction and say, well, from this instructions, from this information, we need to then make it happen. The way this occurs is it goes through, again, this sequence. So the plan stage, which is the APO, align, plan, and organize, this is the beginning of the management cycle. So before we can actually go and deliver anything, first we need to plan what's going to happen. Decisions get made at typically fairly high levels within the management of enterprise IT. This then moves down, this information then moves down into the build phase, the build, acquire, and implement. This is where these decisions that were done in the planning stage, keeping in mind those plans were taken from the directions given from the governance layer, higher up, those decisions result in things being built, or acquired, or implemented. This then moves down the line into the run phase. This is the DSS, or Deliver, Service, and Support. So this is where things that have already been built are then kept optimal. 
they are run as ongoing services or solutions or aspects of IT. They're supported, they're maintained, and they keep the lights on and everything green. The final phase is the monitor phase. The MEA stands for Monitor, Evaluate and Assess. And the reason we call this a sequence or a cycle is because you can't really monitor something until it's operational. So once something has been planned and then built and then it is running, then you have something to monitor. But that monitoring process yields information, it yields outputs, it yields something that might need to be acted upon. And that then feeds back up into the monitor component of the governance layer at the very top. Remember when we said EDM, evaluate, direct and monitor? Well, that part of the monitor is taking its information straight back from the management area, which is monitoring things at a more granular level, at a more detailed level, and is then feeding that up into strategic evaluation of that information. So this is where the evaluate portion of the governance domain looks at information not only from the wider world, from the industry, from the organization, from its stakeholders, but also from what's coming back to it from within the organization that tells the executives, well, is this IT investment working? Are we getting return on investment? Are these things doing what we expect them to do? And if not, then might we need to change what's going on? This will then result in new directions being issued from the highest levels of the organization that are then passed down into the management of the IT in the organization, which then continues its cycle. And as new directions are given, they get planned as to how they're going to be reacted to and dealt with. Something gets built, that thing gets run, Ultimately, it gets monitored, and once again, the feedback comes back up into the evaluation process. This is the cycle of the management of enterprise IT. Now, this is the process reference model. And what we're talking about here are the individual processes that ensure that all of the individual steps that take place in all of these broad categories of activity are all done effectively. So let's talk a little more about these process areas. Well, first, let's talk about the processes themselves. What do we mean by a process here? A process, quite simply, is a way in which predictable and repeated outcomes can be achieved. A process is a way that allows multiple people to perform in a similar manner and to produce similar outputs which can be predicted or counted upon, which can be measured and evaluated as to whether or not they're correct and appropriate. So a process is a systematic series of actions that are directed at achieving a particular outcome. So if the outcome is important and the outcome is something we need to be able to predict and measure, then the process is something that we need to carefully craft in order to produce that result. Now some processes are manual, some are automated, but they all get documented. And the reason they're documented is so that they can be followed. The quality of that documentation often has a big impact on how easy or difficult it is for that process to be followed. But it also allows it to be measured. So a process needs to be measured to understand whether or not it is achieving that goal for which it was created. It also allows us to understand whether or not it's being properly adhered to and followed. So this is what we have, a large group of processes 
that are meant to achieve predictable, repeated outcomes in a way that we can have everyone compliantly following them and documented in such a way that we can measure and report on whether or not they're being successful. And at the very top of the COVID-5 process model is the governance domain and the five processes in that group. Now, in most of these groups, except for the MEA, the Monitoring, Evaluate and Assess, in most of them, there is the first process is an overarching process. It's a guiding process that is basically saying, well, let's make all the other processes in this group functional. And this is where we start with, with evaluate, direct, and monitor. So it is the only governance domain. All the domains underneath it are all management domains. And EDM is typically going to be run by perhaps the CIO, perhaps the CEO, or some other strategic committee that operates at that layer or at that level of decision-making within the organization. So the first and leading process, EDM01, is ensure governance framework setting and maintenance. It's another way of saying, well, let's just make sure that this EDM stuff is doing its job. Make sure it's happening. The purpose of this, uh, keywords out of this, is a consistent approach aligned with the enterprise governance. This is about making sure that things line up. Ensuring decisions are made correctly, processes are overseen effectively, regulatory requirements are confirmed. Basically, it says we do good governance. So the purpose statement of this and all of the others helps us understand why this exists. But it then also links to a number of IT-related goals, where this process supports particular IT-related, each process will support particular IT-related goals, sometimes a couple, sometimes several. And in this case, EDM01 is related to the IT goals of alignment of IT business strategy, so keeping IT strategy and business strategy aligned, the commitment of the executive management for making IT-related decisions, so helping ensure that the executives are proactively involved, effectively involved, and the delivery of IT services in line with business requirements. So making sure that what IT services are doing, what IT is doing, is in line with what the business needs it to do. So they're IT-related goals, but they're fairly high-level goals. They're the things that this particular process of making sure that the governance layer works, well, that's what it results in. So unsurprisingly, this process is going to involve the CEO, the strategy committee, the CIO. It's going to have inputs and outputs. All processes are going to have inputs and outputs. And the inputs are the information that it takes in, and the outputs are the results that are achieved by that process. So this process, EDM01, ensuring governance framework setting, it's going to have inputs such as information from the business trends. It's going to have information relating to the industry. It's going to have communications about compliance requirements. So, for example, if the regulatory environment that this organization operates in, if that changes, that information needs to feed back into making sure we are governed. The outputs, what this is going to create is the guiding principles of enterprise governance for this organization, a decision-making model a way of ensuring that what happens underneath this happens effectively and happens within the guiding principles that the executives of the organization have decided that they need to do. 
So this determines the significance of IT and its role within respect to the business. It decides the role of IT. What's it going to do for us? An example of how that might be measured is the actual time versus the target time for key decision making. Whether or not these key decisions are made on time or not, or when they're expected to be made. The second EDM process, EDM 02, ensure benefits delivery. Now we know that benefits are the things that by which we measure the success of whether or not IT is actually doing its job. Whether or not any strategy is doing its job is based on whether or not the benefits are being realized. So the purpose of this process is to make sure that we get optimal value from any IT-enabled initiatives, any services we have, assets, any anything we invest in IT. It needs to deliver results. It needs to deliver value. It needs to deliver benefits. And it needs to do so cost-effectively. So as you'd expect, some of the IT-related goals to do with alignment, alignment of IT and business, well, are we doing the right things? The realization of benefits, are we getting the results we expected? Transparency of costs, is it costing us what we thought it would? Is the delivery of services in line with requirements? Are we getting what we need? And do we have the knowledge to do all this correctly? Now, again, the same people are involved. This is a high-level thing, CEO, CIO, strategy committee. The information inputs it's going to take, it's going to look at what we expected to get as return on investment for our IT investments. When were we expecting to get returns? How much was it expecting to cost? This information goes into an evaluation that says, well, is this working correctly? Are we getting this? Is it happening on time? So it helps us understand what the enterprise considers to be value from its IT. How is it going to be measured? Process 3, EDM03, is ensure risk optimization. So here we've moved on to another pillar of strategic management. We're talking now about risk. The purpose of this process is to ensure that the IT-related enterprise risk is within the scope of the organization's risk appetite risk tolerance. So it's to help ensure that the risks that are being taken within IT are not outside of the risks that would be considered acceptable by the organization overall. It's also to ensure that risks to the organization from whatever is going on in IT are things that we know and understand. So risks to the value of the enterprise, to the value of the company that the might come from IT, these are things that we understand and that the right things are being done about them. So risk optimization is about having the right risks and having the right risk responses to them. So the IT-related goals, as you'd imagine, are all relating to risk in some way. It's managing IT-related business risks, transparency of, well, cost and risk, and compliance with internal policies, making sure that we're doing what we should. Now here, we start to get a few other people involved at the top level. We still have the CEO, the strategy committee, the CIO, but here we might have the CRO, if there is one, chief risk officer, someone who's responsible for managing and ensuring the risks of the organization overall. They're going to have a stake in how IT deals with risk. So the inputs are going to be things like the aggregated risk profile, the status of the risk management actions, what is being done to deal with risk details of policies of what the organization 
considers to be acceptable or unacceptable risk and mitigation plans and strategies. Out of this is going to come policy documents that says, well, our IT risk is going to adopt these kinds of policies, policies which guide decision-making or might have particular objectives that need to be adhered to or monitored for risk management. Certain things that must happen or must not happen. So what this does as a result, it creates a more risk-aware culture in IT. It helps those working at the deeper levels of IT to be aware that risk matters and that risks need to be managed or handled in a certain way. It empowers the enterprise to proactively know where risk is and where it comes from and to make proactive decisions about what needs to be done about it, how to mitigate, how to avoid, how to take action, and also how to be on the lookout for things that haven't already been identified, potential risks that might not have been taken into account. EDM04, ensure resource optimization. Well, we've decided that risk is all okay. We've optimized our risk. It's all under control. Now we've got to ensure that our resources are optimized. So the purpose here is to essentially ensure that the resource needs of the enterprise are met in the most optimal manner. Where do we spend our money? Is it optimally spent? So, I mean, IT costs, therefore, need to be optimized. This makes sure that we've got a better chance of getting something valuable out of what we spend. So the IT-related goals, they talk about agility, they talk about optimization of assets, resources, and capabilities, and they talk about competency and motivation of personnel. The people involved, once again, at the, at the governance domain layer, we're talking about the CEO, the strategy committee, the CIO. Inputs, well, gaps or uh, changes or different information, uh, awareness of what might exist as a difference between what we're performing and what we need to perform. Information relating to how our resources are currently delivering and performing for us compared to where they should be. Same with skills. I mean, skills and people are another kind of resource that needs to be optimized. So it's not all just about the money. And what we get out of this as outputs are guiding principles for how resources and capabilities should be allocated. But again, it's guiding principles. It's high-level stuff. So what this does is evaluates and judges the current strategy for IT expenditure. And the future strategy as well, what we might be doing next. And it gives options for how IT resources might need to be allocated or controlled. The last process in EDM is EDM05, ensure stakeholder transparency. This is a lot to do with reporting. Its purpose is to ensure that the communications with stakeholders is effective and on time and making sure that whatever reporting is necessary is effective and intended to increase performance or know where we should perform or should improve our performance, and making sure that whatever IT-related objectives or strategies there are are actually still in line with the enterprise strategy. It's essentially to ensure that the stakeholders are doing all the things that they need to do to be part of the team, ensuring that you don't have stakeholders running off in different directions doing their own thing. Transparency should reveal that. So the IT-related goals relate to commitment, the commitment of the executive management. 
their participation in decisions, transparency of all things, and ensuring that the delivery of services is in line with business requirements so that we don't have any rogues. And because this is about keeping the people, the decision makers, keeping them honest effectively, this is probably usually only going to involve the highest, most senior people in the decision-making hierarchy. So the CEO, the CIO are likely to own this. Even the strategy committee needs to be kept transparent. So at this level, the inputs are going to be any information that looks like an anomaly, anything that stands out, anything that needs to be acted upon to improve delivery, anything that might be risk-related that's come up and said, well, this risk has arisen uh, due to certain stakeholder activity or non-activity. The outputs of this is that what we get is particular principles regarding reporting and communication. What reports need to be done? Who needs to report to whom? And what does that report need to contain? What do we need to know about what's going on and from whom and when do we need to know it to make sure that we actually get that flow of information? So it allows us to make a judgment on the reporting that we need and whether or not the reporting is actually doing its job to give us the visibility we need to what's actually going on so that we don't have stakeholders that are not aligned with what the overall strategy of the enterprise is. So this gives us a deeper, more detailed look at the five processes within the EDM governance domain. And hopefully it's built a bit more of a picture as to why and how these processes are meant to work. This brings us to the end of Lecture 7A. Hello and welcome to Lecture 7B of MGI 516 IT Governance. This is Brenton Birchmore and we're going to talk in a little more detail about the process model, in particular the processes from align, plan and organise area. It's part of the management domain within the process model. Now although this sits at a more practical layer than the EDM processes, it is still a higher set of processes than the ones that will follow. It is a set of overarching management activities. It's decision-making. It's the highest level of management activity that says, well, this is the planning stuff. This is where we've got to make sure that the details that are going to follow are going to be effectively aligned with what's come down from on high. So these high-level APO management processes are meant to satisfy all of the requirements that have come down from the governance processes, the EDM processes the broad direction, the guiding principles, the information that says, well, you know, we want you to make decisions kind of like this. But what these APO decisions are all about is about architecture. It's about the strategy of the IT decisions. It's about how to allocate costs. It's about what people we need, what risks we are going to accept. So it's about how are we going to get this done? Now, like EDM, the first process, APO01, is an overarching process that essentially says, thou shalt do all of this APO stuff. It's a way of saying, well, let's make sure that all of this is managed. Its name is Manage the IT Management Framework, making sure it all happens. Its purpose is to make sure that there's a consistent management approach, that we're doing things in alignment within a certain way of going about it so that we make sure that the governance requirements that come down to us, they can be met. So it covers 
the organizational structures, it covers our processes, the roles and responsibilities, the skills and activities that we need, the competencies. It's basically ensuring us that all of this is working well. And there's a fairly long list of IT-related goals that this process supports. And they cover a, a variety of things. It is about alignment, it's about compliance, but it's also about the agility of IT. It's about optimization. It's about ensuring that the policies work, having the right personnel, having the right knowledge and expertise. Fairly broad-reaching. The people involved in this, the chief operating officer, the COO, the CIO, of course, is still involved here. Uh, human resources, HR may be involved in this. You may have certain business process owners, those that are responsible for detailed activities and what goes on, uh, and the head of IT administration. These people would be involved in making the highest planning decisions. What they'd use as inputs is a decision-making model that came down from EDM01 that says, well, this is how we want you to go about making these decisions. This is the guiding principles. This is the priorities. This is what's important. There might also be input from the, the process architecture model, how the processes are meant to, to work. Because a lot of the processes are going to be defined and decided at this APO level. The outputs of this, well, there's going to be an organizational structure, functions. Who is responsible for what? And the operational guidelines that says, at the highest level, this is how we go about things. So what this does is defines the scope, the functions, the roles, the capabilities, and who gets to make what decisions. APO02 is manage strategy, making sure that the IT strategy lines up with the business strategy or the business objectives, making sure that there's clear communications about those objectives to whoever needs to be known and whoever needs to know so that they're accountable for it making sure that everyone understands what the options are and how they need to go about implementing the strategy. So the people involved, still the CIO is involved, obviously the head of IT administration. You might have the, the head architect or the head of development, other heads, people who are responsible for certain key activities that come from the strategy. So the inputs, they're going to be things from EDM again, the guiding principles, Guiding principles, for example, from EDM04 about allocating resources and capabilities, resource optimization. Might be innovation opportunities, uh, technology that's now available, things from the business that drives what needs to happen from the IT strategy. Out of this, the strategy itself is going to produce outputs that set priorities. What's important? What's important right now and what's important for the future and what do we need to change, therefore, to get to that future? So it's creating an understanding of the enterprise strategy and the objectives from within IT. APO03, manage enterprise architecture. Here we have the purpose of ensuring that all the different things that go into the infrastructure and architecture of the organization, of IT, that they're all working together. Their interrelationships, as well as the principles by which they operate, are effective, and that they are evolving over time to continue to improve and deliver the benefits and the results. So the people involved, still the CIO, but maybe not IT admin, 
if this is architecture, you might have a head architect. You might have other key business executives involved. The strategic executive committee, there might be an architecture board that are involved. Inputs, well, they're going to take their guiding principles for enterprise architecture from EDM04 because architecture is going to be about investing resources. So there's going to be guiding principles that we take into account as well as the strategic roadmap that might come out of the APO02, the strategy that we just talked about. Might give us things that are inputs into the architecture decisions. The outputs are going to be perhaps a, a scope of architecture. An architecture concept or a business case, a value proposition that says, well, we should invest in this kind of architecture in order to deliver on this strategy. This helps us understand who the key stakeholders are, what their concerns and objectives might be, and knowing what's it going to take to deliver on these strategies and these requirements. APO 04, manage innovation. Well, ensuring that we are innovating, that we're sufficiently flexible, and that we are aware of what new possibilities that IT can bring. Its purpose is to make sure we take advantage of, of innovation, both technology and business innovation, to make sure that we are constantly exploiting these opportunities to increase our benefits. A variety of leaders would be involved in this, from the CIO through the head architect, the head of development, head of IT operations. The inputs, well, the strategy, what is it we're trying to achieve? What is our priorities? From the priorities, we can then look to identify things that might unexpectedly improve the results of those priorities. The SWOT analysis, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And of course, emerging technologies, things that are suddenly becoming possible that weren't before. The outputs are, well, the opportunities that the business can take advantage of certain innovations. This might include things like a recognition and reward programs for people, for staff members who are key to identifying the connection between innovation and outcomes. So this creates an innovation plan, which also has some awareness of the risk appetite because some innovations have higher risks. They usually do. There could be an innovation budget to cover innovation initiatives to make sure that new opportunities and new ideas always have some sort of funding and some sort of room to grow and flourish. APO 05 is manage portfolio. So what we mean by portfolio here is the highest level of the management of projects. So the portfolio is a portfolio of programs, and within these programs we would have various projects that are investments, IT investments that are meant to be ultimately, when they're completed and successful, they are delivering results yielding benefits. So above all of this is a management of portfolios that says, well, let's make sure that things are on time, things are on budget, things are within specifications or meeting objectives and requirements. This says that we will manage all of this successfully. This is why one of the IT-related goals in this process is reference number 13, the delivery of programs on time, on budget, and meeting requirements and quality standards. Things we're used to hearing about from a project level, but at the planning stage. So this is starting to get a little bit more specific in financials. We might have the CFO involved in this because now we're talking about numbers. The CIO still be involved, other business executives, those who might be uh, particular stakeholders in certain programs. 
So the inputs could be the strategic roadmap, the milestones, the sequence of events of when certain components of the strategy are expected to be rolled out, the prioritization and the ranking of IT initiatives. Well, when are we going to do this project and then this project and then this project? The outputs are the identified resources and the capabilities that are required to support the strategy. What do we need to do? What do we need to have? It's a way of validating that whatever we invest in IT is aligned with the enterprise vision and that it's on time and on budget. APO 06 gets a little more granular. It's now talking about manage budget and costs. This is a very specifically a financial requirement. This is very specifically relating to making sure that IT and the enterprise are efficiently using resources, most especially the financial resources. Helping make sure there's enough transparency, enough accountability of the costs of certain things and the value that those things yield to make good and informed decisions regarding the use of IT. So whilst it's also to make sure that we don't waste money on something that's not worth it, it's also to make sure that we don't cut funding to something that's doing a very good job for us. Naturally, the CFO would be involved, the CIO, head of IT administration. Uh, it's going to take into account things like the asset registers, the evaluation of investment, various services, portfolios, various cost information. And it's going to rank those. It's going to prioritize IT initiatives and budget allocations. It's going to say how much money certain programs or initiatives might have available. So it creates a, a list of IT-related cost elements, prioritizes them, identifies them, allocates funding against them. APO 07, manage human resources. Sounds a bit straightforward. It is about ensuring that we have the right human resources to meet the requirements. It's not just about having the right people or even the right people with the right skills. It's making sure that we have the right people in the right places with the right empowerment with the right uh, decision-making skills, with the right authority, so that they can leverage their skills and abilities and their capabilities and their competencies in order to bring forward the benefits from and leverage all of the other investments we're making in more hardware-oriented IT expenditure. It's also making sure that those people are competent and motivated and that their skills are up-to-date and stay up-to-date. So the people involved with this, well, clearly HR is involved, the various IT heads. You might have the project management office or the program management office involved as they allocate people to tasks or for certain programs. Inputs might include the approved resources plan that might come out of EDM 04. A definition of the supervisory practices. Who needs to supervise what? What level of knowledge and competency and experience do people need to be to have certain seniority? to have certain supervisory responsibilities. That could come out of APO01. These go in and create for us as an output the staffing requirement evaluations. What, what kind of skills do we need? What competency do we need? And from that, what kind of career development plans do people need? So this helps us evaluate our staffing requirements on a regular basis and keeps it up to date with whatever's changing. APO08, manage relationships. Now, at first glance, this might sound a little soft in an IT-related enterprise governance, but here we're talking about the importance of the relationship between the business and IT. 
Now, this has come out of the fact that historically there's been lots of challenges, a difference of perspective in the way that a lot of business stakeholders and IT stakeholders can see the same thing. So this is intended to create a fairly formal and transparent way that these two components of the enterprise can communicate and ensure that this results in a positive, proactive, effective relationship where they have shared goals and they understand their role in achieving these shared goals. It's about ensuring that these different people are working on the same team, they know they're working in the same team, they have a mutual trust and they understand enough of each other's position to be able to work effectively together. Now, the CIO is probably going to head this, but you'll also have other business process owners, people outside of technology. You might have the head of development and head of IT operations and the service managers involved, but you also might have other stakeholders involved from other departments, non-IT related. The purpose here is to make sure that where there are gaps or problems or issues in between IT and the other areas of the business, that they're identified and resolved. So these are going to be the inputs, the gaps in IT services to the business, what other parts of the business think IT is not doing for them, what they've identified as failures to them from IT. And the outputs, well, it's about what are we going to do about it? Sales department isn't happy. Finance department isn't happy. Well, why? Let's work it out. Let's understand it and let's decide what we're going to do about that and let's communicate it along the way. So what this does is creates a common way, method, understanding of how disappointment, dissatisfaction, complaints, escalation of those, how all that is handled to ensure that the relationship can be preserved while the services are revolved and improved. APO09, manage service agreements. This is about the great service level agreement, the SLA the commitment, the written commitment that says that we'll deliver this to a certain standard. Sometimes the details of these standards and these requirements and the agreements that are wrapped around them can be very specific and very precise and very important. This process is about making sure that what's going on in IT is aware of the service level agreements and is meeting them or is doing what's required if we're not meeting them and doing something about it. So this is still going to involve the CIO. It's going to involve various business process owners, the ones who might be responsible for those various processes, and certain business executives who might be depending upon those services that are being offered. Inputs could be the customer requirements for quality management, certain things that are specified that the customers need, or the root causes of any quality delivery failures, things that we know have gone wrong and why. The outputs of this are going to be the service level agreements or operational level agreements, things that we have committed in writing that the IT department will deliver and how much and to what extent. APO 10, manage suppliers. Now, any IT department is going to need third parties to supply things to them. This is to ensure that we manage the risks associated with suppliers that don't deliver or that aren't performing well enough or that aren't competitive enough. It's making sure that we have the right suppliers and the right relationships with those suppliers, that they're delivering what we pay for and that we're working with the right people. Now, this might not involve the CIO. We might only be dealing with perhaps head of IT administration or IT operations. The inputs might be the acquisition or development plan. This is going to come from the build, acquire, and implement. Decisions that say, well, we need to buy or we need to 
get this kind of service. We don't do this internally. We've got to acquire it from somewhere. Well, that's going to be an input that says, well, that means we need a supplier to deliver that. We've got to manage that supplier and manage that relationship. Inputs might also be third-party risk assessments. Which suppliers can we trust and why? The outputs could be identified particular contract requirements, things that we know we need to manage or particular things that we need to make sure that they exist within the agreement that we have with that supplier. This is, well, we're going we're gonna to make sure you contractually commit to this because we're a little worried about it. So this defines the performance criteria for those suppliers and a way for us to monitor whether or not they're meeting those criteria. APO 11 is manage quality. So this is where we look at whether or not what IT services are delivering is to a sufficient standard. Consistent delivery of solutions and services to meet whatever the quality requirements might be of the enterprise or the other stakeholders making sure that it's of a standard that's necessary. We're not just ticking boxes, we're ticking them to the right standard of outcomes. So this would still involve the CIO, uh, certainly a service manager, or other business process owners who might be reliant upon what these services are doing. Inputs, well, there could be enterprise-wide quality standards. There could be results from various reviews and feedback about exactly what kind of quality is being delivered, or any exceptions or corrections, things that we've identified are not good enough. But that results in quality management plans, ways that we go about making sure that we have quality and standardizing the quality that we're looking for and how we're going to know and how we're going to deal with it if it's not right. Uh, essentially, it gives us a way to monitor and measure exactly how our quality is being produced and what are we going to do about it. APO 12 is manage risk. Here we get into a, a deeper level of knowing exactly what is the risks within what we're doing in IT. So we make sure we have the right kind of monitoring and reporting about risk, the right kind of awareness about what risks we can accept and what we can't, balancing the costs and benefits of taking certain risks. This is the level of decision-making detail that might happen with the CRO, uh, Chief Risk Officer if there is one, or perhaps within certain process owners that are making decisions about what risks their processes will entail. Obviously, the inputs of this are going to include things from EDM03, the evaluation of risk management activities. How well are we managing our risk? What risks? What is our risk appetite? What's our risk profile? And from APO02, what is our risk assessment? What risks do we think are there? The outputs from this will be risks that we can see coming, risks that we believe might exist now or in the future, in particular risk scenarios that, well, if this happens, then this is going to be a problem. Well, that scenario needs to be defined and documented so that if that thing does happen, we're all on the ball and aware that suddenly our risk profile and risk exposure has changed. So it defines for us exactly what kind of risk we have and what kind of risk analysis we need in order to be on top of it. And the last process in APO is APO 13, which is manage security. Essentially making all the decisions that we need to make 
to ensure that our security of information is appropriate within the confines of the enterprise's risk appetite. What are we prepared to accept with risk management? What is our security or information security going to do to contribute to making sure that we're within that risk profile? So the CIO is once again involved in this. Other people ahead of IT admin, admin dealing with a lot of information. Uh, there might be a security manager specifically responsible for information security. The inputs might include uh, the, the risk appetite, uh, enterprise security approach, how we go about uh, dealing with certain risk. There might be inputs and information of what kind of information we have. There might be regulatory requirements of how certain information needs to be secured. The output is going to be some kind of information security risk treatment plan. How are we going to deal with this? We might have a plan that says, well, we've got certain categories of information security. We might have a certain plan as to how we're going to provide access, how we're going to control and limit access. What this results in is an information security management system that ensures that it's within the enterprise policy. We're within the risk profile and the risk appetite. We're managing our information in a way that says that we are compliant with what the enterprise says we need to do with respect to where we are, what we're involved in, what industry we're involved in, what assets we have, what technology, what investment, taking all of that into account. And also how the information needs to be accessed, making sure that we don't just lock everything up, but the right people get access to the right information when they need it. This concludes our discussion on the APO group of processes and is the end of Lecture 7B. Hello and welcome to Lecture 7C of MGI 516 IT Governance. I'm Bretton Birchmore and we're now going to go into the Build, Acquire and Implement section of the process model. So in 7B we talked about the align, plan and organize. We've made the big decisions. We've dealt with the high-end stuff. We've made our plans, we've aligned them with the enterprise, and we've organized things that are needed to make things come to life. Now we're at the build, acquire, and implement discussion. Now we need to actually start to bring things into existence, bring them to life. So this is the build domain. This is where we deliver. This is where we implement. This is where we make stuff happen. So this is the land of project management, whereas in APO, we talked about program management, groups of projects, and how they're meant to run. Here we talk about particular projects. We talk about requirements and defining the requirements, making sure that we know exactly what we need to have and why we need to have it. So this then translates from requirements into solution design, solution architecture, capacity management, not just what do we do, but how much of it do we need to do? How many people does it need to support? What changes might need to happen to our organization to support what we're going to implement? And how do we manage those changes? And when it comes to these new assets that we're undoubtedly going to need, how do we configure and manage the configuration of them? Now, like EDM and APO before it, the BAI01 is an overarching process. It is manage programs and projects. And that's what we do when we build something or we implement something. That's a project. And so the BAI 
group is all about the different projects that come to life to make the assets and the infrastructure come to life. So BAI01 is about saying, well, let's make sure all of our programs and projects are managed. Let's make sure that they're all under control, that they're all within risk, that they don't have unexpected delays, unexpected costs, that they're going to actually be on time, on budget, and to the right standard of outcome. So who owns this decision? Well, this, this is where you get your project management office or program management office, perhaps. Steering committees, and steering forums, the various process owners, those who might have key responsibilities for these different projects. Now, the inputs for these could be the requirements themselves. It could be the business case for particular things that need to be implemented. It could be the statement of benefits that we're expecting to get out of these programs and projects. The outputs are going to be some kind of mandate, some kind of briefing, uh, a, a management approach that says, well, this is how we're going to go about managing these projects to make sure that they're all okay. So this gives us a way of having a standard or a standard approach to the management of our projects and our programs. It helps us enforce that standard. So, well, this is how we're going to do it. So as we go through BAI, we're going to start dealing with some of the more incremental or specific elements of how we go about meeting BAI 01. So BAI 02 is manage requirements definition. Here we now have to go into a bit more detail about exactly how we manage the particular requirements of anything we're going to build. It's about having the right processes in place to make sure that we know what we need the detailed level, sufficiently detailed, so that when we actually build it or implement it, that it's doing what everyone wanted it to do. So it's ensuring at the detailed level that what we're creating meets the requirements of the enterprise. But it meets those requirements at a more detailed or practical level. The requirements of certain processes, certain applications, certain infrastructures, certain services that need to do particular things for particular parts of the organization. It's those particulars that form our requirements definition. And we need to make sure that we're gathering those and processing those effectively. So the different business executives that are involved in whatever these projects might be or whatever the results and benefits need to be are going to be involved in this as would any steering committees or forums, and also the PMO. Inputs might be requirements from business analysis processes. It could be particular ROI milestones or high-level discussions about exactly what needs to be achieved. And the output is going to give us some sort of plan, a program plan, or different resource requirements, different roles, different responsibilities, different people that need to be involved. How are we going to go about implementing these requirements? So this gives us a way of knowing how we are going to define and document what the requirements are so that we know when, if, and how we can actually meet those requirements. So these requirements could be very important for stage gate reviews of active programs. We're looking at things that says, well, are we reaching a certain stage where we can sign off and say, yep, this project can continue forward? BII03, Manage Solutions, Identification, and Build. 
this is where we identify what solutions, what particular solutions the enterprise actually needs. So this covers the design and development, the, the, the outsourcing, the procurement, getting things from other suppliers or vendors that we might need, managing whatever configurations might be required or testing those configurations or testing that the requirements are being met. Might not just be equipment, it could be the processes needed surrounding that equipment, the information and the data, whatever infrastructure and services. This is about designing, finding, identifying what the solution needs to be. And how is it going to exist? It's the definition of saying, well, this is the solution. And here's all the things underpinning that that tells us exactly what it really is. So head architect is clearly going to be involved in this sort of thing. The PMO would be involved. Various process owners might be involved. The inputs could be architecture principles of how we go ahead and build things. And whatever approvals might exist from certain project sponsors of certain things that have been approved or championed that we want to go and deliver. And the solutions that have been identified for them from BAI02. So we've identified the solution by looking at the requirements from BAI02 now we're determining exactly what that solution is going to look like to meet that. So the output is a high-level design, a detailed design perhaps, documented solution components. This is what it looks like. This is the answer. So we need the right expertise involved here, the right kind of qualified, experienced people to get involved, the right specialists perhaps involved in this design stage. BAI 04, manage availability and capacity. Do we have enough? And is it there? So this is a balancing act because making sure things are available enough can often mean a balance between availability and cost. The more things are available, the more capacity we have, the more it's going to cost. So this is an ongoing juggling act between making sure we have enough of everything to keep the right people sufficiently happy, but without blowing our budgets. So this is about making sure that our services are available, that when we build something, we build enough of it, that it's going to have enough capacity to meet enough of the needs for enough of the demand. This could include design of future-proofing, making sure that things are scalable, or that things can be expanded upon, or that additional resources could be added to, to create additional capacity, or to increase availability. So there's a bit of future prediction that's part of this as well. So this is usually dealt with by the service manager, perhaps, and various process owners on the different services that are being delivered. The inputs could be the service level agreements, which came down from APO, or certain high-level design specifications that came out of BAI 03. The outputs, well, it's the particular scenarios, the particular requirements, the particular definition of performance. What capacity do we need? What performance do we need? What availability do we need? What is the plan to achieve that? So this is going to help us respond to incidents that are, are related to inadequate performance, or inadequate capacity. Basically, if it wasn't built right and it needs to be built or modified a little differently at a fundamental level, then this is the process that's going to help us deal with that. This is a little different from incidents that are caused by 
temporary failures of something that would otherwise be delivering the right capacity. This is where it's not delivering the right capacity. Like when you run out of user licenses for a particular piece of software that you're running. BAI05 is a bit of a mouthful. Manage organizational change enablement. This is a lot to do with adoption. This is a lot to do with the changes that an enterprise or portions of it need to go through in order to effectively leverage new things that we build. So we might build a new service, but if nobody uses it, then this change enablement hasn't happened well. And yes, the BAI is, is responsible for ensuring that the change management steps that need to be done or whatever needs to happen for the implementation and leverage of whatever we're building, that happens at the BAI or begins at the BAI phase. So we need to prepare the stakeholders for how the world is going to change once this thing is implemented and help them commit to making sure that it's properly leveraged and utilized so that we reduce the risk of any failure of delivering something that isn't utilized or isn't yielding benefits. It's also about making sure that we don't deliver too much of something because no one's sufficiently adopted it. A classic example of where this goes wrong is where we implement a new system that's meant to replace the old one, but too many people are still using the old one, perhaps even some time later. When that happens, it's this change enablement that is meant to be part of the responsibility of the build process. That's what's failed. Perhaps for this reason, this one of the people involved in this is the CIO. Even though this is a, a build, acquire, implement further down the line, this is one thing that the CIO probably has a stake in, as well as steering committees and steering forums, etc., uh, who, who are guiding the strategy. But the CIO is the one who sits above all of the other stakeholders and can help make sure that the change enablement happens a little smoother. So they would look at inputs such as the organizational structure, uh, which could come from HR or it could come from the, the hierarchy of the organization, or the results of uh, quality of service, knowing exactly what certain things are producing or what quality is required, to what standard do we need to do things, and what needs to change in order for that to work. What's kind of come out of this is mostly communications requirements because it's a communications process that ultimately leads to the change being adopted. People need to be prepared for change. People need to be guided through the change. People need to be helped through whatever is destabilizing in their environment to make sure that the change is successful. And HR has a big role to play in this. But this process will help HR align with what needs to happen. This essentially helps people want to change, to, to know why they should change, and to help them go through the process of it. BII 06, actually manage the changes. Well, the name doesn't have actually in it. It says manage changes. But this is where we're actually down to the details of those changes. Its purpose is to make sure that we have fast and reliable delivery of change to the business and reduce the risk of that change from negatively impacting something else in the business. You know, the st stability of what else we do. This is where we make sure that we have business continuity, that things elsewhere keep running even whilst we deploy something new. 
But it's not just about how we make sure that the new thing becomes live. It's also about how that new thing might change subsequently. It's about how do we build something or implement something in such a way that its subsequent changes can happen smoothly. So it's making sure that whatever changes are to come will happen in a calm and controlled manner, that they will follow certain procedures, that they will avoid risk or unnecessary risk. And these might not just be changes to configurations, they might also be changes to procedures, changes to staff or skills that are necessary. And all of the various prioritizations and uh, emergency responses and escalations, etc., that come out of how these changes are managed. So because we're cha- talking about changes to what might be delivering important results, the people that are involved would be perhaps the head of IT operations, uh, perhaps the head of development, or perhaps, as usual, other business process owners. So the inputs here could be approved requests for change or approved service requests that says, well, we're going to change this. It could also come from root cause analysis, recommendations uh, from where things are being monitored and managed or where they're being looked after that comes back and says, oh, this is a problem. We need to change what's going on in how we've done things. This results in outputs which are approved requests for change and a plan or a schedule or uh, perhaps a detailed plan sometimes of how that change is going to be carried out. So it helps us have a formal change request process to enable business owners and IT to request changes and for them to actually happen. BII 07 is Manage Change Acceptance and Transitioning. So this is more than just managing the psychological issues of change. This is about a process for formally accepting a new solution. This is where user acceptance testing fits. This is about where we have processes that make sure that what we've created or what we've implemented is in line with what was agreed upon in terms of its outcomes and its expectations, what it's meant to do. It's about having a formal process for moving out of a test phase into a production phase where it's actually then being relied upon for the delivery of other enterprise services. It also might include things like ensuring that there's this initial period of additional support when something goes live. might have a higher degree or higher risk of having things go wrong. There might be a certain phase in this process where we have additional resources on hand to make sure that uh, things are dealt with quickly and perhaps an impl- a post-implementation review that looks at how it all went. So this is going to live clearly with people like the service manager, the head of IT operations, uh, business process owners, of course, and often the head of development. There's going to be inputs such as a quality management plan from BAI01. What is our quality plan? How are we going to achieve quality? There could be a test plan of how do we test stuff that's come out of BAI03. And from that, the outputs will be an approved implementation plan or an acceptance and test plan. This is well, For this project, this is how we're going to go ahead and, and test and accept. This is how we're going to know that we've nailed it. So we get a plan that reflects the higher level of implementation strategy that's come from APO. BII08, manage knowledge. Knowledge is 
information that we've made useful. We've made it useful and relevant. Knowledge is something that informs decision-making, which leads to better decisions. So managing the knowledge means making sure that whenever decisions need to be made about the technology or its use or its implementation or its leverage, that the right knowledge can be accessed by the right people at the right time for the right decision. So we need a plan for making sure that knowledge can be identified so that we know what the right knowledge is, that we can be finding it, accessing it, that it can be kept up to date or perhaps retired when it's no longer useful or relevant. Now, because this is a fairly high-level point, this is perhaps going to include the CIO, the various IT heads and process owners as well. But the way in which knowledge is managed could have a profound impact on how the organization or the IT or the entire enterprise succeeds. So there's a range of possible documentations that would be inputs on exactly how we're going to manage knowledge. Could come from our information security plans and policies. Could come from the operation and use plan of BAI 05. Could come from particular solution components that have been documented from BAI 03. That's where the knowledge is contained about that solution. The output could be some sort of repository of knowledge that's been published. Knowledge bases in all their forms and making sure that the people who need to access those knowledge bases know what's there, know how to find it. They've been trained adequately to be able to reach that knowledge when they need it. So it means we can proactively let everybody know what knowledge we have, how valuable it is, and encourage them to actually create and use their own knowledge and feed it back in to our knowledge base system. PAI09 is manage assets. So this is where, when we've built something, we need to have a plan for managing that asset through its life cycle. Make sure that it keeps doing its job at reasonable costs and that it remains operational. That is, it's doing its job. It's, it's fit for its purpose. Making sure it's all accounted for, nothing goes missing, that it's all protected and secure that everything is kept reliable and available throughout its lifetime. Could be things like making sure we have the right software licenses, to make sure we have just enough, not too many. This is essentially there to account for all of the IT assets and optimize or leverage the value that those assets provide. Now typically, this is looked after by the head of IT administration. This is a highly administrative activity. Inputs could be asset inventories, lists of what we have, or updates to that, how that changes, perhaps from BAI 03. Could be a configuration repository of all the configurations that have come out of BAI 05, or other sources of information about assets. What we get out of this is an asset register with detailed information about exactly how to manage that asset. Could also include information about when that asset might be maintained or unavailable, downtime, uh, planned maintenance, etc. When we say manage the asset, we're not just saying, well, make sure it's there. We're saying, make sure it's still doing its job throughout its lifetime. And the last BAI process, BAI 10, is manage configuration. Here we're getting into some of the most detailed level of information about what it is we're building. This is about ensuring that the information about exactly how something is configured 
is stored, used, managed, how it, we use it to establish a baseline, how we verify or audit certain configuration information, and how we make sure it's up to date. The configuration repository needs to be current. That can be a big, tough challenge. That's what this process is there to help us ensure. So it helps make sure that we have the right information, enough information about the service assets to make sure they can be supported, looked after, taken care of. That we have all the information about the configuration that we need to keep it running. Dealing with incidents or problems and making sure that the right people can know exactly how something is configured and that when a configuration needs to be changed, that that change is done correctly and that the new configuration information is stored appropriately. So this is, again, a very administrative process. And usually, head of IT administration is at the top of this list. Inputs could be a release plan from BAI 07 that says, well, this is when new stuff is coming online. This is when new configurations are going to be necessary. As outputs, you end up with some kind of configuration repository or a configuration baseline that says, well, this is how... Something should be configured in general. And therefore, you've got something to compare as a baseline when changes or deviations are made. So this gives us some kind of logical model of the services or whatever it is we have, the services, their assets, or the infrastructure that works with them and how to record the specific configuration of those items. This ends our discussion on the BAI processes and is the end of Lecture 7C. Hello and welcome to Lecture 7D of MGI 516 IT Governance. My name is Brenton Birchmore and we're at the final stop in our discussion of COVID-5 the process model. We're going to talk about deliver, service and support and also monitor, evaluate and assess. The last two groups of the management domain. So in DSS, or Deliver, Service, and Support, this is the true operations domain. This is the group where we have things looked after on an ongoing basis. So this is where we deal with service requests. This is where we deal with failures, incidents, problems. This is where we make sure that everything is taken care of. So this is where we make sure that the business continues to operate. This is business con continuity, ensuring that all other parts of the organization which rely in some way on some kind of IT service, that that IT service continues to perform in a way that allows the business to do its thing. It also deals with the ongoing needs of security, but also the various processes that surround keeping that equipment useful. So it's not just about making sure all the lights are green, it's about making sure that the processes around it and interacting with it are also functioning effectively. Now like the previous groups before it, the first process, DSS01, is an overarching process that basically says manage operations. It says we'll do everything we need to do to keep everything running smoothly. So this is a process that says well, we'll coordinate everything, uh, we'll do everything and we'll just make sure that everything continues to function as planned. Now, as a high-level process, as you'd imagine, the head of IT operations, not just service management, but IT operations is going to be involved in this. 
and they'd work with inputs like the operation and use plan from BAI 05. Operational level agreements, service level agreements, things that might come out of APO 09 that says that this is what we've promised. So managing operations, DSS in general, is about keeping those promises. So the outputs could be things like uh, an operational schedule, asset monitoring rules, event conditions, things that we are going to act upon. We define exactly how we respond to things, what we respond to, what we need to do, how we need to act, how we need to be preventative as well as reactive, what's meant to happen, and what do we do when it doesn't. So this helps us create operational procedures and all the various activities that are necessary to make sure that we continue to support all of the services that we're delivering. Moving further, DSS starts to get, like you've seen before, starts to get specific. So DSS 02 says manage service requests and incidents. This is perhaps a complicated way of saying, we'll check our support tickets. So yes, this is about dealing with what comes up. Now, service requests are generally the proactive type that says someone has come along and asked for something. Incidents may be reactive. Incidents could be where something appears to have gone wrong, and we need to respond to that. Incidents are the information that says that something's not quite right. So this allows us to make sure that we're productive, to minimize the impact of these things. Though we know that there are service requests and people need things happening and changes. We know that incidents occur, but this is a way of helping us make sure that the impact of those is minimized. Those of you who are familiar with ITIL will perhaps see some correlations here. The difference with COVID-5 as a governance perspective is going to say, well, where ITIL-5 goes through all the specifics and details of exactly how we go about dealing with service requests and incidents, DSS-02 says, well, we're just going to make sure that we've got all that in place. Whether we're doing using ITIL or something else, we're going to make sure it's there. Who's going to make sure it's there? Well, the who comes down to head of IT operations, but also now the service manager, who's more directly involved. So the inputs are going to be the rules or the conditions that relate to how we monitor things or the events. What events are we looking for? What triggers an event? What's considered an event? What's considered an incident? How do we respond to it? How do we communicate about that incident? Out of this, we're going to get an operational schedule and we're going to get rules and event conditions that says, well, this is how it's meant to work. This is what we're meant to respond to. Based on what we've got out of DSS-01 saying, well, we're going to have SLAs. We're going to have OLAs. These are all going to contribute. So this helps us define particular models for how we deal with incidents or known errors so that we can efficiently and effectively resolve them. DSS-03 says manage problems. And again, for those of you who are familiar with ITIL, you know that there's a difference between an incident and a problem. An incident is an apparent failure. It's an apparent lack of performance. But a problem is where that, that, that incident has been identified as having a particular cause. So DSSO3, Managed Problems, says, well, we're going to find the root causes and we're going to fix them in a timely manner to prevent an incident from coming back again. So it also helps us perhaps improve our service levels, maybe do things more efficiently, perhaps lower some costs. 
increase the benefit and joy of the customers, even if they are internal customers. So who's involved with this? Well, clearly the service manager, very much so. Head of IT operations, perhaps. Security manager, perhaps. You know, Some of the problems are going to have security implications. Inputs could be perhaps uh, root causes or risk-related root causes, things that come out of the fact uh, APO, APO 12 to do with our risk management. Problem logs from DSS 02 that says, well, uh, these problems have occurred. The outputs for this, well, we're going to have a problem classification scheme. We're going to be able to know how we're going to determine the differences between certain problems so that we can have the right people working on the right problems with the right priorities and the reports that show how well we're doing that. So what it does is helps ensure that we are identifying the problems that exist and correlating that with the incident reports or the error logs or some other area where uh, problems or issues are identified. So DSS 04 says manage continuity. So we're handling our incidents and we're dealing with our problems, but now we're saying, well, we're going to just make sure that the business can continue to function and enjoy the service so that critical business operations can continue to function and making sure that the IT services that are critical to their functioning is sufficiently available so that the critical parts of the business that depends upon it, they can continue to function within acceptable levels making sure that if there's a significant disruption of some kind, perhaps something we hadn't anticipated, that we have some way of helping the business get on with their job. So this can include things like having backups, having alternatives. And a backup might not be meaning just having a duplicate, but it means having some sort of plan or response. It could mean that if the internal one that we use fails, we've got access to perhaps something totally outsourced that we activate and call upon. Why? Because the business needs to continue to enjoy those services. So it's very much part of DSS to say, well, we need a, a plan for that. Now, this is why, because it's business continuity, it's making sure that the business can continue to function, and that could be the whole business. This will get the CIO involved in this, in managing continuity as well as the head of IT operations, as well as the individual business process owners. The inputs are largely going to come from the agreements, the promises, the commitments, because anything that could have a big impact on the continuity of the business, that's going to come from what's actually been promised, the SLAs and the OLAs. The outputs, it's going to create assessments of how the current continuity could be delivered, like how easy is it for our services to just fall over, what, are the, what could happen, and how are we responding to that? How would we respond to that, and what gaps are there? And what's the impact on our business if this happens? So it's a way of saying, well, if this service fell over, would anyone really care too much? And if the answer is, well, yes, well, then how likely is it to fall over? And if it did, what could we do about it to ensure that the business remained happy, or at least functioning? DSSO5 manage security services. Here we get a little deeper into making sure that security is secure, which essentially means we manage and mitigate the business impact of anything that might go wrong with security. And not everything is going to be completely secure all the time. But our role here with this process is to make sure that we're not 
hurt by the vulnerabilities or the incidents that result from those. So it's about making sure that the information of the enterprise is protected with the right level of information security. Which means we're dealing with it within the appropriate level of risk to that security in accordance with the risk policy, which then feeds into the security policy. So it also means that we have a way of making sure that we have certain privileges, roles and access rights where certain people can access certain things. and That's got to be fairly deliberate. So the managed security services is where we make sure that the right people have access, the wrong people don't, and the processes for changing that are fairly robust. Who's involved? Clearly the security manager is going to be involved. Head of IT operations, perhaps head of development. Inputs could be data classification guidelines. They've come all the way down from APO01. Perhaps reports of particular violations that might come out of uh, DSS06. From this, we're going to get some policies. We're going to get policies that help govern how access rights are changed, Uh, malicious software prevention, how do we avoid getting viruses? What's our policy regarding that? Well, we're going to ban all thumb drives, maybe. That's an example of where we might have a policy that says this is how we're going to reduce the impact on us of security vulnerabilities. And it's also going to be able to produce the results of tests that we do, where we test how strong our security really is. So this gives us a way of communicating an awareness of exactly how everyone else needs to be thinking in terms of making sure things are secure. Being aware of perhaps things like malicious software, being aware of security breaches, being aware of things like password protection, uh, being aware of how to get certain access or clearances requested, and who has what responsibilities and procedures. TSS 06, Manage Business Process Controls. Now, the emphasis here is on the word controls. So this is about making sure that the right controls are in place to make sure that information that is related to or that's used by whatever we do in our business is satisfying or is satisfying its control requirements. How do we control things? How do we control our information? And what are the processes needed for that? So this process is about making sure that we know what kind of information control we need. How do we need to control our information? How do we make sure we have that kind of control to make sure that whatever information processing needs to happen is done correctly? So it's also about making sure that we have the right security of information assets and how that's handled with the business, but controlling the way that happens to make sure. This typically only comes down to the business process owners because this is about making sure that the process is going to work the way it needs to because we're controlling the information. The right information is in the process and the right information is protected by the process so that it doesn't leak out where it shouldn't. So inputs are going to be data classification guidelines, perhaps. It would also be operational use plans that says, well, this is how this works. When we know how something works, we know what information it needs to have. So we can control the flow of that information 
making sure that it's in the place where it needs to. So what this does is that it identifies and it documents the control activities of certain business processes to make sure that the control requirements have been met for whatever strategic or operational or whatever compliance objectives that we have. A good example of this might be patient records within a medical environment would have certain controls around how that information is used by certain processes. Credit card information is another perfect example. Certain information must be controlled in a certain way, even though it might be used by different processes. Now that concludes the deliver service and support group. We still have the monitor, evaluate and assess to cover, but it's only three more processes. Now unlike all the ones before, process 01 is not an overarching process, but this MEA is the measurement group. This is where we measure everything. This is where we make sure that we are monitoring, measuring and knowing where there's any kind of deviation between what is and what should be. This is where we comply or we make sure that we have compliance, perhaps with external standards, but also with internal standards. Remembering that what we need to comply with has come all the way down from EDM through APO and then BAI, DSS, and now we're making sure at this stage that it's all correct and okay. Or if it's not, that we know about it. So the first is MEA01. Manage, evaluate, and assess performance and conformance. Are we performing effectively? Are we conforming to all of the requirements, the strategy, or everything that's been stipulated right down through the organization? So we need to know what the goals are. We need to know what the metrics are. We need to know what the, the validation is. And we need to monitor what's really going on in those processes so we can compare it against what's been agreed upon that that performance and conformance should be. So we have our goals, we have our metrics, we have our reality that we're looking at, and we can compare the two. That reporting needs to be sufficiently transparent and thorough and timely to know that there's nothing missing. We need to have the kind of reporting and performance management that says, well, we always get the reports and we get them on time, and they're full of all the right sort of stuff so that we know there's nothing missing. Now, there's often quite a few people involved in the monitoring and evaluation of what's going on. Certainly business process owners, but also the head of development, even the head of IT operations, and, of course, the service manager. Now, the inputs from this, interestingly, are going to often come from the EDM processes because this information is going to feed largely back up to EDM for changes in the direction that they've given. So inputs might be the reporting and communications principles that were determined by EDM 05, or the rules that govern the validation or approving of certain kind of reports, also from EDM 05. The transparency requirements. So out of this, we're going to get some approved monitoring goals and some approved metrics. And this process is going to produce reports, reports that can be analyzed and compared. So what this does is helps us continually monitor our alignment between what we're meant to be doing and what we should be doing or what we are doing. And 
is that in line with what the enterprise really needs it to be? Which is the information that's going to feed back up into the EDM that says, well, you know, we're doing all of this, but it's not really helping our company thrive. Maybe we need to do something a little different. That's their decision at the EDM. But they're going to be relying on a lot of this kind of information. MEA02 is to monitor, evaluate, and assess the system of internal control. This is about knowing how in control are we really? Are we really on top of things? Are we really in control of our IT? Or have we really got no idea? This is the monitoring system. This is how aware are we? How, are, how aware are we when something's wrong, when something's deficient, when something's not efficient? How are we making sure of all of this? What standards do we need to adhere to to make sure that we are in control of all this sort of stuff? What transparency do we need for particular stakeholders or for particular systems? So this being an internal control process, it's going to have something to do with certainly compliance, but it's also going to have an auditing element. You might have auditors within the company that are involved in this, various IT heads who are uh, heading up certain areas of IT that are responsible for handling things, as well as the usual business process owners. Now, the inputs could be third-party risk assessments, you know, things that might come from other people that says, well, you've got a risk here or you've got a problem there. There could be industry standards uh, of good practices to how other industries or how other organizations have gone about self-analysis and wondering whether or not they're really in control. The outputs would be results of whatever reviews that we do, whatever monitoring, whatever introspection that comes out of this that says, well, we're going to be looking at what we're looking at and making sure that we can show evidence that we are effectively in control. So we're going to, with this, internally monitor and control what it is that we're doing that says that we are on top of our game. What are we evaluating? What standards do we need to evaluate our own internal governance? This says we are self-governing because we are checking whether or not we're doing all the right things. And lastly, MEA03. Monitor, evaluate, and assess compliance with external requirements. Now, for many of us, when we hear about governance and when we hear about governance of IT, quite often for those less familiar with it, this is the first place they go to in their minds. Governance is all about compliance with external requirements. Well, it is one of 37 of the various processes, and it is the last. And for many people, it is the most important. But it is only one piece of the puzzle. But it's perhaps one of the most straightforward and easiest to understand. It essentially ensures that the enterprise is compliant with all applicable external requirements. That's not just to say that IT is compliant with external requirements, but that the other departments that rely on IT to demonstrate their own compliance, that that all works as well. So who's in this? All the business process owners. Because the compliance demonstration happens all across the business. There'll be inputs that relate to what those external re compliance requirements are and especially changes to them as they get updated, and also new compliance requirements that we might 
engage with as we deploy new systems and do new things. The outputs, well, they could be audit reports, compliance reports, processing control reports, things that tell us where and how we are or are not in compliance with our external requirements. So what it does, it identifies and it helps us document the activities that the business needs to do or the processes that we need to have in place that helps us make sure that whatever requirements we have for our strategic or our operational compliance objectives that we have the reporting in place to know and the information coming out of that that we can feed back into decision making that says, well, if, if we're not compliant, that we are aware of it and we can take action and do something about it. Which, like the other MEA processes, feeds back up into EDM that takes action and gives new direction that says oh, this is where we need to make sure that we improve things to deliver on all of our promises, all of our commitments, and all of our requirements so that we can deliver value, yield benefits, and have successfully governed enterprise IT. This brings us to the end of the process model and lecture 7D.